What do you always want more of until you've had enough? Cake, obviously. But also computing resources. Scaling is today's topic, and on today's streaming audio, we're going to talk about scaling Kafka clusters, adding and removing capacity dynamically, and then doing that at scale. Because we're not just resizing one cluster, we're going to resize a whole cloud's worth of them. To take us through it, we've got Ajit Yagate and Ashish Kohli, who've been taming Kafka and Kubernetes to make the most seamless scaling experience they can. But before we begin, let me tell you that streaming audio is brought to you by developer.confluent.io, which is our educational site for Kafka. It can teach you something new, whether you're a complete beginner or an event systems guru. And while you're learning, you can easily get a Kafka cluster started using Confluent Cloud. Sign up with the code PODCAST100, and we'll give you $100 of extra free credit. And with that, I'm your host, Chris Jenkins. This is Streaming Audio. Let's get into it. My guests today both work on cluster elasticity and capacity management for Confluent Cloud. We have Ashish Kohli, who is a product manager, and Ajit Yagate, who is an engineer for those teams. Gentlemen, welcome. Thanks, Chris. Thank you. Good to have you here. So we're going to talk about elasticity and specifically cluster elasticity, but Maybe we should start with the word elasticity. Maybe I can give you my lay definition of it and you can tell me what I'm missing. Um, I think of elasticity of, as two constraints, right? I never want to pay for more than I need and I always want to be able to buy as much as I want. Ashish, do you think that's about the size of it? Sure, I think I think you got, got that right, Chris. Uh, I mean, when we think of elasticity, it's literally... Uh, it's it's a table stakes for a cloud service. I mean, <clears throat> any cloud service uh, today has to have uh, the elasticity capability sort of uh, fully satisfied. Um, and the idea here is that just think of any utility that you use. You pay for a utility in terms of how much you use. You don't have extra capacity lying around all the time. Same way for a cloud service with elasticity, the idea is that you can very closely align how much you're using with how much you need and so that you never have excess wasted capacity while at the same time you don't have situations where you need that excess uh, capacity and you don't have it available so it's the close alignment of your demand to how much is is being available uh, to you as a consumer yeah should be like should be like turning on a tap right in the kitchen you you want some you get some you turn it off you know you always get as much as you want and no more ideally exactly so, okay. Um, oh, do you know, I've just thought of another thing, which I think is important. There should be minimal manual user intervention, right? That is true. Um, that sort of goes into the, the domain of uh, auto-scaling. Uh, elasticity mm-hmm. is basically the, the capability of being able to uh, add or remove capacity. But manual intervention also goes into the aspects of auto-scaling, which uh, I think I think we can talk about that uh, um, in the discussion as well. But Yes, you're right. Yeah, okay. So let's translate this into our favorite world of Kafka, right? So what? What? give me an overview before we get into the cloud. What do I need to do when I'm hitting capacity problems? Where do I, where do I start? Start with uh, Kafka, you mean? Yeah, so like 
my Kafka cluster is somehow reaching its limits. What what sort of limits am I going to see, and what would I, if I were managing it myself, do next? Sure. So uh, when you think of Kafka clusters in Confluent Cloud, we have this abstraction called CKU or Confluent Unit for Kafka. Um, the the way a CKU works is it gives you some capacity along seven different dimensions, and the reason we have this notion of a CKU is because we've abstracted sort of the underlying infrastructure. Uh, infrastructure details that you might worry about if you're self-managing Kafka, uh, open source, or even running it on-prem. And the idea is that when we give you this abstraction, you can expect the same um, kind of capacity or performance as you migrate across clouds. So if you were self-managing Kafka on AWS versus GCP, you would have to go and try and pick different kinds of instances, whether they are memory optimized or compute optimized, and you would have to understand what uh, performance you can get from those instances and what you should expect from your Kafka cluster. We've sort mm-hmm. of extracted all of that away. So you as a customer don't have to worry about all of these differences between clouds. And we give you a CKU as a unit of capacity and you can get X number of CKUs on your cluster. And that guarantees the same kind of performance across different clouds. So you don't have to worry about all of those underlying details and you can just focus on on getting the right capacity from, from your cluster. Okay, I see what you're saying. So, so... Does that that actually works in practice that I can stop worrying so much about the balance of disk and capacity and CPU? It's absolutely. got a fairly predictable workload in that way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's the whole promise of us as a fully managed SaaS service that we don't want you to worry about those underlying infrastructural details. We also have benchmarks that we that we publish um, saying this is a two CKU cluster and this is the kind of performance you can expect. But we also recommend customers run their own benchmarks because the performance you can get from a cluster also kind of depends on your workload, how how many clients you have, how you how many partitions you're creating, and how you're distributing that load. So we always recommend that you go with our benchmarks, but you should also run your own workloads and see what kind of performance you get. Okay. Uh, so, so then... I'm, I was thinking in terms of CPU or disk, but you're saying I can start thinking about hitting some limits in this abstract unit, right? But what what sort of what's the shape of a limit? I find that things are slowing down. I find that that it's taking my is it is it as simple as my throughput drops and I think oh I need some more capacity? Sure. So the the seven dimensions of a CKU, and let me see if I can remember them. I, I probably won't be able to rattle off all of them, but it's um, basically storage, which is uh, getting mostly unlimited across all three clouds because we've moved to uh, tiered storage. But mm. it's uh, ingress and egress, so throughput, and then uh, number of partitions in the cluster, uh, connection attempts per second, request rate, and I forget there's a seventh one. But the idea is that each of these uh, dimensions we specify that if you have a one CKU cluster, you can get 4,500 partitions or you can get uh, an ingress of 50 megabytes per second. As you up the number of CKUs, uh, you get more and more from each dimension, just multiplying it by how many CKUs you have. So as you're running a workload, it depends on how much uh, you're consuming uh, along each dimension. In general, you are not able to max out all of the dimensions at the same time. So how much of um, you are getting in your cluster from one dimension kind of depends on your overall workload. And what we've sort of done to uh, make that easier for customers to understand is we've we've recently launched uh, what's called a Kafka cluster load metric. Mm -hmm. 
And that tells you what the overall load on your cluster is. It's, it's a holistic metric that tells you the performance of your Kafka cluster. Where do I see that? Uh, you can see that in the UI. It's also available from our metrics API. So okay. if you go to the Kafka uh, Content Cloud UI, there's a there's a capacity settings page for the Kafka cluster that has a gauge that tells you uh, how much uh, load you have on your cluster. It's a value between zero and hundred, as well as um, it's available through our metrics API. And that's that's how we really think most customers might end up using uh, the load metric is by mm-hmm. um, querying the metrics API and getting the value. Okay. So there are a few of these different metrics I would then need to worry about maybe stepping up my capacity. Yeah, I think in in, in general, when you're thinking of uh, stepping up or stepping down capacity, it's the load metric you want to worry about. The other uh, metrics, the, the seven dimensions of a CKU is basically your usage. And you might get throttled along some of those dimensions if your load is approaching um, a high value of, say, 80 to 90%. Okay. So you've I know you've been working on... Um, the elasticity of this, but w- w- tell me what the world was like before you started work. What would I do when I ran out of capacity? Yeah, so I think, um, I mean, I, I can probably step back and tell you about the, the journey we've taken uh, in Confluent Cloud for, for our customers. So I think years ago, when we first launched Confluent Cloud, we didn't even have the ability for customers to self-serve and provision their clusters. Like we just launched the service, right? So we would provision clusters for them. The first step we took along right. that dimension was really giving customers the ability to self-serve and provision their clusters, both uh, through the UI, API, and uh, CLI. And then the next step for us was uh, cluster elasticity, so expanding and shrinking clusters. Uh, prior to this, you would um, prior to launching the load metric or full elasticity, you would probably have to look at the CKU dimension and see what the usage is. And if you were running out of uh, usage along some of those dimensions, you would probably uh, contact us, uh, contact our support team, and we would uh, we would potentially do something to add capacity. But today, you have the ability to do that yourself as a customer. Right? You can go to the UI or call our APIs and add or remo- remove capacity depending on your uh, usage. Right. So it would have been a support call before this work. Yes. Right. Okay. Now- that's bad for everybody. As yeah, we, as, mu- we as much as are, it's nice to talk to engineers. Yeah, we we our, our uh, goal as a fully managed SaaS service is that that we want you to be able to sort of um, control the aspects of your cluster and take off like take over the the burden as much as possible of running the service so that you can focus on your business. So we never want you to have to be able to reach out to support unless it's like a, a dire situation like the service is down or something. But other than that, we want customers to be able to fully self-serve and in most cases also not even have to worry about um, worry about having to increase or remove capacity. Right, yeah. So, Ajit, you, let me get, get, grab you for some technical details, sure. you being the software engineer. So um, sure. let's start with what you would have done behind the scenes if you got that support call to change it. And then you can start telling me how you automated this, right? Sure. What does it take to expand a cluster with Kafka? 
Um, yeah, so I, I think before we get into that, I, one one thing that we have to clear uh, out is that um, Confluent Cloud is a is a Kubernetes shop. I mean, almost all of our infrastructure runs on Kubernetes, okay. um, and uh, including the customers uh, Kafka uh, uh, Kafka cluster or KSQL cluster. So all of those things also run on Kubernetes. So uh, prior to actually having this uh, specific feature, right? Like if uh, uh, a customer would see that their load is increasing and 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 the, they look at those um, uh, specific uh, metrics and they decide that they have to expand the cluster, right? So they would open up a support ticket, and that support ticket would uh, would come to the engineers and typically the on-call folks who would be who would be uh, you know uh, receiving that uh, ticket and and it, it it was a it was a manual process that we had, um, you know, the, the like you you had to update state in our database and then generate certain configurations and then uh, go ahead and actually bring up the compute storage and networking. Uh, 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 in, on, on the Kubernetes cluster, like uh, so, so in the Kubernetes world, right? Like all of our, uh, uh, we we kind of make use of a pattern called as operator pattern within Kubernetes. It allows okay. us to uh, kind of extend the Kubernetes API. Uh, so we have a service that that does that. So all of our Kafka clusters, um, I mean, customer created Kafka cluster or a KSQL cluster, right? They're all um, kind of defined uh, with uh, by a uh, by an entity called as uh, custom resource definition. Right? This this is again a Kubernetes concept. Uh, so where you can you can define Define what your resource looks like. For, for us, a resource would be like a Kafka cluster or a KSQL cluster. And, and let's say if you're talking about Kafka itself, you would you would specify the number of brokers that needs to be a part a part of the cluster, how much storage each broker should have, what is our networking story there, and and the, and the configuration of Kafka cluster itself, right? So all of those things are kind of encapsulated in this uh, custom resource. Um, which which we, we would we would generate and and then this operator service that I spoke about would go ahead and and expand the Kafka cluster uh, for the uh, for the customer and the, the customer's cluster would expand uh, would expand it we would monitor it once it's all done um, and and by the way there's also a data balancing part of it like you're adding new resources to it so you need to uh, balance the data out. Um, or the loadout across all the new brokers that have come, so we need to do that. And and once that is all done, uh, we would actually let the customer know that we would close the the, the support ticket, saying that hey, your cluster has been expanded, and and the customers would get to know. So so as you can see, this was like a, a multi-day ordeal. Uh, like you, multiple teams had to come together uh, to make this all happen, uh, which which was uh, a considerable toil. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's that's how we used to do earlier. Uh, okay, crikey, so. We should we should split that up into pieces. So yep. <laughs> because I, I definitely want to talk about the kind of logical rebalancing once you've got the resources separately. Sure. I want to dig into that. So, but I I know precious little about Kubernetes mm-hmm. um, beyond um, the marketing. So take me through how you change that into an automatic process. Yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, Kubernetes is a is a container orchestration platform that is uh, that's almost a standard. Uh, Cloud native standard these days, uh, right? And uh, it has a simple yet powerful uh, uh, pattern called as the controller pattern, where uh, you know you you have a specific resource, you define the desired state of that resource uh, declaratively, uh, typically a YAML file, and you present it to Kubernetes, saying that this is how my resource should look like. And once uh, that that is an input uh, to Kubernetes, and and there'll be a controller that would be running uh, specifically for that resource, and that controller would would get that input, and what it actually does is it compares the actual state of that resource uh, with the desired state, and if the actual state has deviated from it, it would try to bring the actual state towards the desired state. So it's like a continuous on-running process. Like if if 
if the actual world deviates from the desired world, it'll it'll bring it back uh, back to the uh, okay. back to the desired state. So uh, so it's it's kind of a declarative API that is there, and um, uh, yeah, so that's the that's the nicety about uh, the Kubernetes, right? And uh, for us uh, specifically, one of the value adds from Kubernetes is that it kind of uh, serves as a uh, cloud provider abstraction layer. Uh, so we are available on, on AWS, Azure, and GCP, and yeah. we don't ever have to um, call the, the cloud provider APIs ourselves, right, like to, to get the resources. So we use Kubernetes. Kubernetes actually kind of abstracts that, that all out, like depending upon where the Kubernetes is running, like which cloud provider it is running. Uh, you know, uh, we, we have a standard Kubernetes API that we would say, hey, get me some compute, and Kubernetes underneath would, would talk the right, uh, uh, you know, uh, cloud provider API to, to get the resources for us. So that's yeah. that, that's that's one of the uh, the value adds that we get out of Kubernetes. Um, yeah, I mean it, it has its uh, rough edges, uh, Kubernetes in general. But I think uh, the benefits that we get out of it uh, far outweigh the uh, you know the pain that we have to deal with the idiosyncrasies. So so yeah, I mean that's 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 our standard. Like that's the infrastructure layer that we have, uh, and uh, and we, we kind of put it to good use. Uh, we, we we extend the Kubernetes API like I was specifying to manage our resources. Um, so you so presumably in the old days you were just changing the controller definition on a per customer basis and that got you to the first base uh, exactly yeah so so everything yeah just um, the way things are laid out right like um Maybe maybe we can we can talk about uh, the the overall uh, cloud architecture that we have uh, and maybe uh, then then that that would actually um, tie the the story together so um uh, like I said, everything runs on Kubernetes, and our cloud, Confluent cloud architecture itself is is like a, is like a decoupled architecture that we have with two main components. Uh, one of them is uh, a centralized control plane. Uh, the, uh, you know, it's it's a global control plane which with, with its own database where it, it where it would stay, uh, store state, uh, and a control plane is responsible for for orchestrating the provisioning requests, deprovisioning requests, uh, with the advent of uh, uh, the capacity uh, elasticity features that we uh, that we added. They're also kind of orchestrated by by the by the control plane, right? And uh, so let's say as a user, you you are interacting with the Confluent Cloud UI or the CLI or API. All of those requests kind of funnel into the control plane. That's that's where it, the journey starts. And um, and and then we have something called as a data plane. Uh, the control plane is, is is referred to as mothership in our uh, parlance uh, and then we have this data plane which is which are again kubernetes clusters uh, and and that's where the the, uh, the customers clusters would be running like customers kafka k sql or connect cluster would be running in the in the data plane and now these two disjoint uh, entities are tied together by a kafka bus so we, we kind of use our uh, dog food our own technology there uh, so uh, the kafka bus is responsible for uh, ferrying the instructions from the control plane to uh, to the data plane and it also shunts the um, the status updates back to the back, back to the mothership from the satellites. Okay. Uh, so, so that's a very high level uh, overview of uh, um, uh, the, the Confluent cloud architecture itself. And, and within the data plane, right, that is where uh, the, the component operator service uh, uh, runs. And uh, that, that is the component that kind of extends the Kubernetes uh, API. Like we have a CRD definition, uh, which which kind of encapsulates how how uh, a kafka cluster should look like right like i was, I was explaining about that like details yeah. about compute storage networking all of that is encapsulated in that so now uh, for every single uh, customer cluster that we have there, there'll be one instance of that that, that definition uh, 
uh, that is that the CRD is a is is like, we can think about it as a as a class in in Oops uh, a paradigm, and right. the custom resource is like an instance of that uh, of that class. So we have one instance for every single Kubernetes uh, every every single uh, customer cluster that we maintain. Is there um, one class, if I can use the same terms, is there one class for all customers, or is it are there slightly uh, different ones for different needs? Yeah, so it, the, the 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 content of that, I mean, the the, the class actually, the, the fields in the class are, are are common across all types of uh, resources that we support. But then you would you would instantiate them one for every single customer's cluster. So, like, if I, as a customer, yeah. if I have ten clusters, I would there would be ten certain ten instances of that CRD uh, running in our uh, infrastructure. So, but do you so have like a, uh, we've got an enterprise class? That gets instantiated oh, yeah, for sure. the enterprise customers, or uh, exactly. So yeah. So basically, it depends upon. Um, uh, yeah. So like like you said, if you it's an enterprise class, we have certain offerings, uh, different types of offerings that we have. Uh, like if as a as a customer, if I'm using the UI, I could create like a standard. Uh, Kafka cluster, which is essentially our multi-tenant offering, you would get a sliver of that big cluster that we would run, and and, and you, you would interact with that. Uh, yeah, uh, the other option is that you could you could create a dedicated cluster too, like you know where where the uh, the, the entire cluster is is just designated for a given customer. So 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 in in, the, in these two things, right? Like where, where the multi-tenant uh, offering that we have, there'll be one one instance of the CRD representing that multi-tenant cluster that we run internally, and mm-hmm. for every dedicated cluster that gets created there will be a separate instance managing just that just that kafka cluster okay okay so, right yeah. and and the, and the configurations that we add within the thing is it, it, it differs depending upon what type of cluster you are like like a kafka clusters configuration will be completely different from a ksql clusters configuration uh, yeah. but the but the class that we have kind of encapsulates all of all of these uh, things and and, and the, the data that we store within the within the objects themselves uh, uh, di- uh, differ based on the based on the cluster type so that's that seems like a lot to Matt to figure out both technically and from a product perspective right she's deciding what shapes you want to offer to people yeah and I think the idea there is that uh, we, we want to um, we want to give people the right kind of capability. I mean, if customers need dedicated clusters for certain reasons, whether it's be compliance or regulatory, we we want to make sure that they have that available. While at the same time, our multi-tenant clusters are uh, fairly powerful to handle uh, a lot of workloads. So so the, the scalability part, you're changing that instance you're flicking a switch that changes which instance you've got of that class, right? Yeah, that, and that's, then that is Kubernetes correct. just magically fills in the rest of the details. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I mean there is some amount of shepherding that we have to do uh, in the sense that uh, yes, the the custom resource definition that is there, so we need to uh, we need to change it to say that. Uh, so let's say you were running a two CKU cluster that kind of maps to uh, our internal representation of, uh, in, in terms of number of brokers, mm-hmm. and let's say you go to from C, two CKU to go to three CKU, then then 
that that translates to the additional brokers that are needed like additional storage networking capability and the compute that is needed right so all of those things kind of get encapsulated it can, uh, the the crd uh, gets modified so so may, maybe we should just walk through the whole flow uh, that that way it's, it's kind of clear yeah, so yeah. as a user uh, let i i jump on to confluent cloud ui uh, let's say I, I just choose the ui to be my uh, you know initiating uh, a point uh, and in the ui i say hey expand my kafka cluster from 2cku to 3cku and i, I hit a button and expand uh, and that request comes to the control plane. So the control plane level, uh, what we do is that, um, so for every, like Ashish was explaining these, these uh, uh, the dimensions of metrics that we maintain, right? So that those are actually quotas for us in, internally. Like, you know, we have certain things like, oh, oh, for, a, for, a, for every CKU, uh, we can actually uh, have 4,500 partitions uh, you know, supported, yeah. and there's there's a uh, ingress and egress bandwidth that we can uh, a throughput that we can support uh, for a uh, for a given cluster, right? So so those quotas will, uh, if it is an expansion, then we have to update those quotas, saying that because the customer is asking for more uh, resources, so naturally the quotas will also will also get updated, and yeah. um, and then the configuration also gets updated uh, because we we uh, we, need, we, are, we are saying that we are now saying that oh you you'll be adding more brokers into the cluster, so that configuration details will will, will get uh, will get updated. And and then the control plane would store this information in its database, uh, right? And uh, and then we, we kind of have this event-driven, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, what do I say? Event-driven uh, approach where once the once the the state is stored in the mothership DB, we we based off of that state based on change data capture, we generate uh, the CRD instance that I mentioned about uh, the, yeah. the custom resource definition with, with the new details in it, and that gets uh, pushed down to the uh, to the data plane, which is the satellite uh, okay. uh, through the Kafka bus, and and that uh, CRD arrives at uh, uh, in the Kubernetes uh, cluster itself. Um, so once that is there, uh, the operator uh, service that is running, which is which is which essentially runs the controller for this uh, resource, right? So that gets notified saying that there's a change that has happened. So uh, then the operator would get in and uh, and figure out what exactly has changed. So in, in this case, we are expanding. So we, we need to bring up more compute. We have to uh, allocate more storage and, and also set up the networking part of it. So so the operator goes ahead and does that. Like it, it brings up the, the uh, in the Kubernetes world, a computer is represented by a pod. Uh, uh, that's where that's where the, the Kafka broker would run. It's, it's a containerized. So it's every a pod can actually run multiple containers. So one of the containers would be our Kafka Kafka broker itself. So it will go ahead and bring up those new uh, brokers. Then it will also, as part of this bring up, it will also attach the storage that is necessary, uh, right? And then um, uh, and, and and the networking part of it is taken care of. Now at this juncture, right? So so uh, now now that now that the resources have been brought up, but Kafka, uh, we we need, we need this additional step of balancing the data. So that's where yes. uh, yeah yeah uh, so. It, let me just check I've got the first bit and then I sure. want to move on to the logical rebalancing. So you're, sure. you're saying that the control plane is literally is writing a YAML file and sticking it in a topic and eventually the data plane is going to pick up its new YAML file and just do as it's told. Exactly. I mean, that's okay. at a very high level. That's exactly what, what happens. Okay, um, let's go. Yeah. Okay, so now you're in the position where you've got a cluster that has a lot more capacity, but... Mm -hmm there's a logical step right you've got a yeah. you've now got to make use of that capacity exactly so, so take so that, me through that 
Yeah, sure. Uh, uh, so, so one of the features, like, so this is where um, you know we kind of make use of a feature in Kafka uh, called the self-balancing cluster feature. Uh, we, we kind of uh, uh, put that to good use here. Uh, so, so one of the capabilities that uh, self, uh, like the name suggests, it's a self-balancing feature that it has. Uh, so one of the cool things about that is that when you actually add new brokers into the cluster. So it has a way to figure that out. Like you know, typically in the in the Zookeeper world, these new brokers would register with Zookeeper, and and then uh, the this SBC component running inside the brokers themselves would would know that there are new brokers arrived uh, into the cluster, and then it 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 uh, what it does is that uh, uh, it, it kind of adds them into the cluster. So that it's it's called an add broker step. Uh, so what it essentially does is it figures out what is the current uh, utilization of the cluster, and there's new resources that have been added to it. So it generates a plan uh, to to figure out uh, what should how should the rebalancing look like, and uh, and then and then it starts moving the data over uh, to, to the new brokers that have been initialized. This 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 kind of happens automatically. So the moment we bring up the bring up the new resources from the uh, from the operators uh, from the data plane uh, service, right? Uh, the moment it brings it up, uh, Kubernetes brings up the resources. Uh, SBC kicks in. It starts the uh, process of uh, you know uh, rebalancing. Uh, rebalancing the data while this is happening uh, from a customer's point of view it, the cluster is still still not completely rebalanced so so we wouldn't tell the customer that uh, your cu cluster has already expanded so as, as a customer right and the ui i would see expanding as, as my status so now uh, the operator would, would have to poll like this uh, the, the amount of data so it, this is the rebalancing means that we, we are actually moving data around right um, so so while that is happening the operator actually has to wait uh, for the for the rebalancing to complete and um, and once the rebalance com is completed, that's when we, we 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 kind of send the status information back to the control plane via the Kafka bus that I mentioned, saying that the that the rebalancing is all done now. And, and then uh, at that point in time, uh, uh, there, there'll be a notification sent out uh, to the customer saying that your your cluster has actually expanded, and and then the UI would also show the status accordingly. Um, okay. So so one of the key things to remember here is that so we we do have uh, like 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 Ashish was saying. The customer would would be charged for 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 the resources that they use, right? So in terms of expansion, we would start charging them only after we have rebalanced the cluster completely. Even though okay. we have brought up the brought up the resources up front, uh, we don't charge for that. We charge them uh, towards the end. Uh, for for shrink, it's the other way around. Like we kind of charge them up, uh, reduce their bill up front, and um, yeah, and do that. So so this is the life cycle. Like you know, once once the operator figures out that everything is rebalanced, it would send a notification back to the control plane, uh, and the control plane would then notify the user saying that the expansion is completed. Um, okay. Out of interest, how does it happen the other way around? What's the flow of con commands sure. and control? Yeah, so uh, predominantly the, the flow remains the same. I think the magic is where uh, uh, the, the operator part, uh, the operator component, right? The interaction with Kafka is where where the heavy lifting is. Uh, so, so the uh, again, uh, as a as a shrink customer clicks a button saying the shrink my cluster, and and it uh, we update the quotas again because we are reducing the size. So naturally, we have to uh, update the uh, the quotas for the uh, for the CKU uh, for the CKUs that have been chosen, um, and then we we start we send out a notification to our billing service saying that start charging this customer lesser uh, because they have they have. Uh, have uh, shown their intent to reduce the uh, cluster size, so yep. so it's kind of favorable to the customer that way. Um, and, and then the request flows down to the data plane. Uh, so here um, in, in this uh, in this world, right, like in the shrink uh, path. Uh, 
first we have to move the data out of the existing brokers we can't bring them down so we need to because that that, that would lead to um, availability issues right like uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so we, we we wait for the data to move uh, uh, move uh, to be moved out again we use the self balancing kafka a uh, self balancing cluster feature here so yeah. so for this uh, we kind of developed uh, we uh, both the sbc team and our our team work together to come up with apis uh, that, that makes this integration uh, much more uh, smoother um, one of the things that uh, one, of, one of the guarantees that is there is that any of these things can go down at any point in time it's, it's a distributed system uh, so so and the the interactions that we have uh, from between the operator and the spc right so there, there are some guarantees that we would need so so one of the things that we have ensured uh, we, we ensured with these apis uh, are that you know they're, they're item potent in nature because you know you you call a request you call an api and then and the operator can go down and come back up uh, for for whatever it is, for whatever reason, right? And the operator kind of picks up. It, it just stores enough state uh, to to so that it can start, restart the state machine uh, of any of these operations that are being performed, right? So so the, those APIs, if they are idempotent in nature, that is it, it is helpful. So th that is that is yeah. one thing that that we kind of built into the system. Uh, and and the other uh, other thing is that uh, these so we we remove multiple brokers at a time. Uh, because um, a, a single CKU can actually map to n number of brokers, and um, and and it, it would make sense to actually remove multiple brokers at the same time. Uh, because uh, let's say if you let, let's say for for just for example, like one CKU maps to let's say 10, 10 brokers. I mean, just just mm -hmm. uh, just an example, right? So mm -hmm. if you move. If the user's intent is to move all the ten brokers. Now, if you if you move one by one, there's a lot of wasted effort that is going on, right? We, if you're we keep moving the data. Yeah, times. exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. It, it takes a long period of time, and also we are moving the data, same data over and over. So so that's why we try to do uh, remove multiple brokers at the same time, and uh, the, this API that that we. Um, we do a, uh, SBC folks did a wonderful job there. So one of the design aspirations there was that this API uh, to remove multiple brokers at the same time would be would be atomic. Like if anything fails in between, none of them will be removed. But if uh, yeah, if okay. it succeeds, all the brokers will be removed successfully out of the thing. So oh, so that uh, I'm sorry. That's going to be hard to implement. <laughs> Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's why I said like uh, I think the heavy lifting was done on the SBC side, so the operator's right. life became easier because of that. Mm -hmm, uh, yeah. There's there's very very little things to reason about. Um, you know, if if a, if an API fails, we know exactly what 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 has happened, and and we can just continue from where we left off. Uh, yeah. So so yeah, in the in the shrink path again, uh, we call the remove uh, broker API from the SBC world to remove the brokers. I mean to move the data over first. Once all the data has been moved over. We, we bring down the uh, the, the, the brokers uh, in, in that particular cluster. So one thing to keep in mind is that while, while this is all happening, right, we don't want newer data to uh, go, go on to the brokers that are being removed. So yeah. SBC, again, provides this, uh, you know, uh, exclusion uh, part. So the moment we say, hey, remove these brokers from the cluster, uh, Kafka, uh, SBC, SBC would ensure that no new uh, topic creation or no new uh, uh, um, uh, configuration changes would would place uh, newer data onto the brokers that are being removed. That way, there's there's only a finite amount of uh, movement that we have to do. Otherwise, you, you can be in this phase where you know you're trying to move, but there's new data arriving, and, and you, you you'll never converge. Um, so that that is another feature that is uh, that is quite uh, uh, important here. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
so yeah, I'm the, the 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 overall flow is just that you know you you remove that and once you wait for the removal to complete, and mm-hmm. once that is all done, uh, you you would bring down the storage, uh, the compute and networking for those brokers, and then mark the operation as uh, successful uh, and send okay. it back. Yeah. So on the way down, it's actually structurally very similar, except the controller needs to know to rebalance first and then exactly. take the resources yeah. away, that and most good. of that it actually delegates to the SBC. Yeah, so the heavy lifting, like the actual data movement, is 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 done by SBC. Uh, the um, the operator just shepherds the whole process. Uh, you know, it just calls the API, waits for the API to say it's all done, and then it goes ahead and and and, uh, and update, uh, removes the Kubernetes resources that are not needed anymore. Uh, so so in all of this, right? Like if you think about it, the 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 movement, uh, or the data balancing part is is quite heavy uh, in the sense that if you have it is a, it is a function of how much data you have. So mm-hmm. so one of the nice things about uh, Confluent Cloud, at least on, um, uh, I mean we have the tiered storage uh, feature, right? Like only a hot set uh, will be stored. That means that the amount of data that is stored locally uh, on, a, on a storage attached to every single broker, right, um, mm-hmm. is very small. Um, and, and find very and small. Old, uh, yeah, so it's a so it, 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 this is a Kafka. The typical use case is like a, a, a an event streaming kind of a thing, right? And and more in in such use cases, uh, there's a producer and a consumer, and and the consumers are mostly interested in in the latest data that has come uh, yeah. that, 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 that has arrived. So we we kind of define that as the hot set. Uh, so let's say uh, last 30 minutes of data is what we are interested in. I mean, I'm, okay. um, right? Like, so, so only the last 30 minutes of data will be stored locally, and and beyond that, everything gets tiered to like a uh, like an object store uh, in the back uh, in the backend, right? Uh, okay. So 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 the amount of data stored uh, for every single broker locally will be will be small, and this aids in in the data movement too. Like we, we can we can be done very quickly. Like removal or or, or addition of new brokers will be very quick. Because because we, there's very little data to move around, okay. uh, so that that is another feature that kind of uh, makes makes the elasticity story uh, quite good. Like you know, it, it, otherwise it, there's, there's huge amounts of data we have to move. So uh, so the, the amount of time it takes to handle these requests will also be larger. Uh, otherwise, uh, so yeah. Cool. Okay. So that kind of relates to the back to the producty end of it ashish um how long does this process take what's the what's the user experience of this sure so i think uh per cku it can take a, a couple of hours to expand uh, or shrink the cluster and okay. it, it varies um i think as ajit mentioned the the two if, if you think of if you step back and think of this whole expansion or shrink process is like two two main steps one is additional removal of brokers Mm-hmm. And the second step is this uh, data rebalancing before we tell the customer your cluster is ready with the expanded or removed capacity. Um, the cluster is available through this this whole process, um, but the second step is very critical, and the the time it takes for a cluster to expand or shrink really depends on the size of the cluster. So, um, how many CKUs uh, you're adding or removing, because that's wherein comes the number of brokers you need to add or remove. So that's one step that takes time. And the second step is how much data there is on the cluster. So Ajit, as Ajit mentioned, the, the concept of tier storage, like sort of decoupling compute and storage, that allows us to have much less data on the brokers that needs to be rebalanced. So it's definitely made things much faster. But even so, depending on one cluster versus another, the amount of data on the brokers that needs to be rebalanced will affect how long it'll take for uh, the overall expansion or shrink process to complete. But it's a matter of hours rather than the days. 
Yeah, it's it's definitely not not days. Uh, And I mean, we are always optimizing things to make it uh, faster and faster. But I mean, if if you think about it, in these two steps, we could, let's say you're expanding a cluster. As a service, we could really say, hey, you're going from two CKUs to four CKUs. We've added these brokers and here's your cluster that's expanded. And that would be super fast, like much faster than having to rebalance the cluster and saying expansion is done. But in that case, we are doing our customers a disservice, right? The idea is that we are a fully managed SaaS service. We want you to focus on your business. Our, it's our job to give you a cluster that performs well. So yeah. that's why we add the brokers, we rebalance the data. We don't want to give you a cluster where you need to go then go ahead and rebalance the data to optimize it for performance. So that's why it takes a little bit longer, but it's the right customer experience where we take care of both of these steps rather than having the customer worry about any of the operational aspects. Yeah, that makes sense. So speaking of customers, right? Like, you probably can't tell me specific customers, but tell me generally how customers are using this out in the real world. Yeah, so uh, I think um, you can you can think pretty much all customers that are using a cloud service that have any sort of variable workload Mm-hmm. will will want to use uh, cluster expansion or shrink. Um, the scenarios could fall in certain um, categories. I mean, I think Black Friday comes to mind as the most obvious uh, use case where um, retail customers might want to add more capacity going into Black Friday. Yeah. Uh, and then after the season is done, so there's a seasonality as, aspect to it. Um, and after the season is done, they might want to shrink it down to sort of what their uh, average workload is. At the same time, there are other um, aspects where uh, maybe airlines going into the summer might want to do something uh, like this because in the summer, wide season, uh, yeah, travel season yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Um, gaming companies might want to do it right before a game launch because when a game launches, there's all this interest, and then over time they can sort of uh, reduce their capacity. Yeah, I think uh, going back to the the sort of the timing aspects of this, how long it takes. I think when we talk to our customers, we tell them not to think of this as a as a daily or hourly experience where you're just adding and removing capacity all the time. You kind of have to plan a little bit because adding capacity, rebalancing the data does take at least a couple of hours. And the more capacity you're adding, the longer it'll take. So I think we want them to think about this more in terms of days uh, or weeks rather than just like every hour you are increasing or removing capacity. Right, yeah. Okay, so where is that going to take us into a future where things are a little bit more fine-tuned? I think, um, again, I, I think I touched on this earlier in the conversation when we think of our customer's journey. We've, we've given them um, the ability to self-serve uh, their clusters. We've also now given them the ability to uh, expand and shrink their clusters. And, and that experience is the same from the UI, APIs, or CLI, whatever you might want to choose. Most customers, we think, will likely use the APIs to sort of uh, include this uh, expansion and shrink into their overall uh, workflow. But and, and we can stop here, right? We have given customers the ability to create clusters. We've given them the APIs. They can program these APIs. They can watch the load metric, and they can expand and shrink their clusters. So mm-hmm. technically, we, are, we can say we are done, and we've given customers all of these primitives. But again, thinking of the customer's experience, now a customer that wants to do auto-scaling, that, that doesn't want to have to worry about tracking the cluster load and expanding and shrinking would have to instrument something where they sort of stitch together these APIs and say, hey, by the way, when my cluster load goes above 80% and stays there for 
24 hours or 72 hours add to CKUs to expand the cluster. That would be then on them, but that would be a disservice to them. So we, we don't want to stop here. Our next step, which we are thinking about, is what we refer to as policy-based scaling or auto-scaling. Right. And the idea there is that customers can define some sort of minimum or maximum CKUs for their cluster. And uh, we can, based on the load, basically say anytime uh, the load drops below 30% and stays there for some time, we shrink the cluster down uh, by ACK or two CKUs. If the cluster load has been over 70% and sustained for some time, um, we start expanding the cluster. So that's auto scaling that customers can set their policies and we'll do it for them. Cool. What's your timeline for that? Or do you, are you not giving deadlines? Yeah, I mean, as as a product person, I I, I am very careful about uh, giving timelines, but that's something we are uh, actively wise. thinking about. I think um, our our goal is to, as I said, take over all of the burden uh, of running the service or tuning the service from our customers. So it's definitely something we are very strongly thinking about. But I I cannot uh, cannot go into timelines, unfortunately. Don't make commitments. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. It does make me want to just check one technical thing, and either of you can field this, is um, when it if you're in this world where it was automatically shrinking and growing, or today when you're manually doing it, does, does the process of shrinking or growing affect performance? In that, if I say, grow my cluster, will it slow down a bit before it speeds up? Well, I, I can say something and then maybe Ajit can chime in. Um, I think one thing I want to cover about uh, expansion and shrink, I think which we didn't get into, um, is that I, I think Ajit touched on the billing aspects that when we expand a cluster, we start billing at the higher CQs at the end of the process. Uh, when we shrink, we start billing at the lower CQs at the beginning of the process. So it's very customer friendly. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the same time, when we think of cluster expansion, we can be a little bit more aggressive about it because we are adding capacity. Right, we are from a cluster's performance perspective, we are adding capacity, so we can add more capacity faster. When we are shrinking a cluster, we try to be a little bit more conservative because, again, we don't want to affect uh, the load on a cluster while uh, while we are doing these operations. So, when we are shrinking a cluster, we'll warn you in terms of the cluster load being high or certain limits that you might be hitting, and there are safeguards in place to prevent. Uh, prevent changes that will affect the performance of the cluster. Uh, Other than that, while the process is happening, the cluster is available and running. So there should not be any noticeable impact to the the cluster's performance in terms of the capacity that's available. Uh, I don't know, Ajit, if you want to... Yeah, I mean, let's say if you're expanding, right, like when, when the... Uh, when the cluster has, when uh, from the UI, let's say you initiated an expansion, and the UI says that now the cluster is expanded, that that's when you kind of uh, we expect the, uh, the customers to start pushing in more data. But while this is happening, right? So like we are re- re- rebalancing uh, stuff. So so in, in Kafka, every uh, uh, you know the way people store data is that there is a topic, and then every single topic is actually uh, has n number of partitions, and these partitions are evenly balanced across the number of brokers that you have. So yeah. as part of the rebalance, right, like we would be moving some partitions over to the new brokers. Once once the movement actually happens, right. So so, so from a client's perspective, when they're trying to access that, uh, we have the smart clients that figure out oh the the partition does not reside on broker number X, it we have to go to broker number Y. So yeah. It figures that out and then uh, and um, and goes to the right broker, uh, but then like 
uh, that that also means that for that particular partition, you can, uh, uh, if, if there was any, uh, you know, uh, performance um, deficiencies that you were seeing, you, you can you can you can start pushing in, pushing more data into in, into the cluster at that at that point. In, like so, it depends upon uh, where where we are in our rebalancing uh, phase. So so that's why we say that once the once the cluster has uh, says that it is already expanded, that, that's when you would be able to realize the full potential of the of, of the of the cluster. Yeah. So there is going to um, be so, a, sl a, a slight rebalancing phase, just yeah. like you would with a, if you added more consumers. Yeah, yeah. So so yeah. whatever performance they were getting before, they, they would they would continue to get it. Only that you know uh, the guarantee of getting more performance out of the cluster uh, is is served only after the cl uh, cluster uh, only after we say the cluster is completely uh, expanded. Okay. Yeah, that makes with, that with makes the rebalance complete. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, I think. I mean, it's obvious why it's an important feature, and I can see it's um, usefully done. And I think I've got a good sense of how I could be dangerous enough to try and implement it myself in the mythical business that exists inside my head. <laughs> so thank you very much. That was very enlightening. Um, Ajit, Ashesh, thank you very much for joining us on Streaming Audio, and I hope you'll join us another time. Thank you, sure. Chris. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having Cheers. us. Cheers. And that brings us to the end of another episode of Streaming Audio, the episode with so much scale we needed to double the number of guests. If that leaves you wanting to kick the tyres of cluster scaling, you can give it a try at confluent.cloud. Sign up with the code PODCAST100 and we'll give you $100 of extra free credit. And if you're still learning how this world all fits together, well, take a look at Confluent Developer, which will teach you everything you need to know about Kafka and event streaming. And if it doesn't, let us know and we'll add it. For that or anything else you want to let us know, head to the show notes for our contact details and my Twitter handle. Or if you're watching this on YouTube, leave a comment or click one of the friendly thumb icons they have. We'd love to hear from you. And with that, it remains for me to thank Ashish Kohli and Ajit Yagate for joining us and you for listening. I've been your host, Chris Jenkins, and I'll catch you next time. <laughs>